ओम नमो भगवते श्री अरुणाचल नमस्कार लास्ट टाइम आई बिगेन डिस्कस द मीनिंग ऑफ बस फोर ऑफ आन मिटे एंड आउ कंटिन्यू दिस टाइम वॉट भगवान सेज इन बस फोर इज फॉर द बॉन्स बिगिनिंग विद कर्म टू बी अनथाइड to rise above the devastation beginning with birth more than whatever uh, path this path is exceedingly easy this path obviously refers to the path of abhavichara um and then he goes on to say when one just is resting without the least action of mind speech or body ah in the heart the light of oneself alone that implies the light of oneself alone will shine forth this is the eternal experience fear does not exist the ocean of bliss alone um so that for me near the verse i was beginning to discuss for me near the first sentence for the bonds beginning with action to be untied to rise from devastation beginning with birth more than whatever path this path is exceedingly easy um i i had discussed the first clause for the bonds beginning with karma to be untied and so now i'll proceed from to discuss the the second clause um in the second clause of this first sentence bhagavan says janmadi natam era to rise from a devastation beginning with birth in which janmadi Uh, beginning with birth implies everything entailed in embodied existence or samsara the continuous cycle of birth and death and natam uh, natam is uh, it means loss damage uh, injury ruin destruction or devastation it uh, natam is a tamil form of the sanskrit word nashta uh, uh, which in this context is an adjective that means uh, lost disappeared dead uh, perished destroyed spoiled damaged corrupted and it can also sorry in this con- it can be an adjective or it can be a, a noun in this context it's a noun which means lost disappearance destruction devastation deterioration or corruption therefore jamadi natam implies the devastating and miserable state of samsara in which we have seemingly lost the infinite happiness that is our real our real nature by rising as ego the corrupted awareness i am this body and error means uh which literally means to rise or ascend can also mean to awaken uh, revive be resuscitated or return to life uh so it um and so it implies to rise up or extricate oneself from a devastating state of samsara which we can do only by waking up to our own real nature swarupa kanmadi kattu the bonds beginning with karma and jammadi natam the devastation beginning with birth are intimately related because karma and birth are both fundamental features of samsara and each entails the other because the fruits of karma give rise to repeated births and deaths and by being born we continue to ensnare ourselves in doing karma and experiencing its fruit 
the root cause of both the bonds beginning with karma and the devastation beginning with birth is ego. Because so long as we rise and stand as ego, we are aware of ourselves as I am this body, and consequently we seem to be born and to die. And in this state of embodied existence, we seem to be the doer of karma and the experiencer of its fruit. Um, we can know what we actually are just by being as we actually are, without rising as ego to do even the slightest action of mind, speech or body. That's what Bhagavan implies in the main clause. Therefore, the reason why self-investigation is the easiest means to untie ourselves from the bonds beginning with karma are equally well the reasons why it's the easiest means for us to rise from the devastation beginning with birth. I have already, already explained in, uh, some of these reasons of, um, last time, but another reason is implied by Bhagavan in the second sentence of this verse. Um, Sommana Tanuvin Kanmadi Siridindri Summa Amandirika Amma Ahatil Anma Jyotiye. That means when one just is resting without the least action of mind, speech, or body, are in the heart the light of oneself alone. That's all he said, but it, that in, the implied verb is alone will remain existing and shiny as I am. Um, Self-investigation is the easiest means for us to untie the bonds beginning with karma and to rise from the devastation beginning with birth, not only because it is the only means by which we can do so, but also because it is in itself much easier than any other spiritual practice, since it does not entail any doing or action, karma, but is the state of just being as we always actually are, without rising as ego to do anything at all. That is, we can investigate and know what we actually are only by being what we actually are, because what we actually are is pure awareness, which always knows itself just by being itself, and which never does anything whatsoever. As pure awareness, we never know anything other than ourself, I am. So what knows anything other than ourself is only ourself as ego. So long as we know anything other than ourself, therefore, we have risen and are standing as ego, and hence we can remain as pure awareness only by being so keenly self-attentive that we thereby cease being aware of anything other than ourself. Knowing or being aware of anything other than ourself is an action, because it entails a movement of our mind or attention away from ourself towards that other thing. Whereas knowing ourself is not an action, but just being, because it does not entail even the slightest movement of our attention away from ourself, as Bhagavan implies in verse 26 of Upadeshundia. What he says in that verse is, Tanai iritle tanai aritlam. Being oneself alone is knowing oneself. Tani rendatradal. That means because oneself is devoid of two. That is, there are no two selves, one self to know the other self. So we know ourselves just by being ourself. Tanmaya nishte idu. This is tanmaya nishta. 
Tanmaya Nishta means uh, tan, Tanmaya means Tatmaya. Tat means Brahman. So Tanmaya Nishta means uh, being firmly fixed or established as that, the one infinite reality called Brahman. Um, what he describes here as Tanai Iritale, uh, being as oneself or being oneself, is what he describes in more detail in the, sec the second sentence of verse 4 of Anmabide as Solmana Tanuvin Kanmadi Siridindri Summa Amandu ir Iratal. Uh, just being, resting without the least action of mind, speech, or body. Iraka is the infinitive of the verb iru, which means exist, be or remain. So in this context, it means um, when one is or when one remains, because in Tamil, the infinitive is often used idiomatically to express a condition in the sense of when. Therefore, solmana tanuvin kamadi siridindri summa amandirka um, when one just is resting without the least action of mind, speech, or body, is a conditional clause in which the main verb, irika, when one is, is qualified by three adverbials, namely, solmana tanuvin kamadi siridindri, without the least action of mind, speech, or body, summa, just, and amandu, resting. Of these three adverbials, perhaps the most significant is summa, which is an adverb that means just, merely, quietly, silently, calmly, peacefully, restfully, leisurely, without rising and without doing. Summa irital or summa iripadu therefore means just being, in the sense of calmly and silently being without doing anything at all. So it implies just being as we actually are without rising as ego, even to the slightest extent, as Bhagavan makes clear in the following portion of the sixth paragraph of Nana. Um, in, that is, the sixth paragraph is a long paragraph, but in one portion of the paragraph he says, Manate vali vidyamal hridiyatil vaitu kondirupadu kutan ahamukum aladu antamukum endrupaya. Um, that means the name Ahamukam, uh, Ahamukam means facing inside or facing eye, or Antamukam, uh, facing inside, is only for or refers only to keeping the mind in the heart. What Bhagavan means here by keeping the mind in the heart is keeping one's mind or attention fixed firmly on the fundamental awareness I am, which is the core or heart of ego, the adjunct completed awareness, I am this body. Um, and then he goes on to say, without letting it go out, out. that means implies without letting it go out towards anything else. So ahamukam or antamukam means keeping the mind fixed firmly in the heart without letting it go out uh, towards anything else is the implication. The name Bahiamukam, uh, oh, then he goes on to say, Hridhya Tilirindu, Veli Vidu Vadaku Tan, Bahiamukam Indrupaya. The name Bahiamukam facing outside is only for 
uh, letting the mind go out from the heart. That is, letting the mind go, move outwards, away from I am towards anything else is the implication. And then he goes on to say, Ividamaha manam hridiyatil tangave illa nileva gulakum mulamana nan embadu poi epodum ulla tan matram vilangam. That means, um, um, only when the mind remains firmly fixed in the heart in this way will what is called I, namely ego, which is the mo- which is the mulam, the root or foundation or cause or origin for all thoughts, depart, and oneself, who always shines, uh, who, who always exists, alone sh- uh, will shine. Um, and then he goes on to say... Um, Tan matram belangam, oneself alone will shine. Nan enum nenevu kinjitum ila idame surupamahum. That literally means uh, only the place where the thought called I does not exist, even a little, is swarupa. Uh, the thought called I refers to ego. Uh, the place where it, though Bhagavan says what he says, idam literally means place. He uses the word place metaphorically, so it means only that. It implies only that state, or only that that state in which there's not even the slightest trace of this thought called I. In other words, the state in which ego doesn't rise even to the slightest extent. That alone is swarupa, our own real nature. Um, and then he goes on to say, aduve monam enapadam. That alone is uh, called the heart. Uh, say, sorry, that alone is called mona, silence. Um, and then he says, ivaru summa irupadukutan jnana drishti endrupaya. Um, um, that, that means um, the name Abhmadrishti is only for just being in this way. Uh, the word he uses for just being is summa, uh, summa irupadu. And then he says, um, then he describes what he means by summa irupadu. Summa irupadavadu, that is, what is summa irupadu? Manate apmasarupatil leika sevade. Is, what, what, what is just being is making the mind to subside uh, or to dissolve in Atmasarupa, in our own real nature. So that state in which the, the mind or ego dissolves back into its source and remains as it actually is, as Atmasarupa, dissolves in Atmasarupa as Atmasarupa, that alone is the state of just being. What he implies here is that summa irupadu, just being, is the state in which ego has dissolved completely and forever in atmasvarupa. Atmasvarupa refers to ourself as we actually are, without leaving even the slightest trace. And we can achieve this permanent dissolution or eradication of ego only by keeping our mind or attention fixed firmly in the heart, namely our fundamental awareness, I am, which is the very core or center of ourself, by means of ahamokam, 
which means facing inside or facing eye, and therefore implies being keenly self-attentive. That is, this term ahamukam, this is a, a term Bhagavan often uses. For example, in the Tamil version of verse 3 of um, of, uh, of Aranachala Pancharatnam, he begins with ahamukama, under Amalamati, that pure mind which is Ahamukam. Ahamukam, um, Bhagavan, Bhagavan often uses this term in Tamil in place of the more usual Sanskrit term, Antamukam. Antamukam means, simply means facing inside. But Ahamukam in Tamil has a double meaning because Aham is both the Sanskrit um, first person pronoun. I, it is also a separate word in Tamil, a word of, of Tamil origin, but means home, heart, um, or what is inside. So ahamukam means both facing inside and facing towards I. What is inside is only I. So the two meanings actually uh, amount to the same thing, but uh, Bhagavan used, I think this was a favorite term of Bhagavan because it has this, this double meaning, but, but the two meanings are both pointing at the same thing. So it's, it clarifies that what, what is meant by antamukam, facing inwards, is only facing towards I. That is, for the purposes of Atmavichara, everything other than I is bahir, is external. What is internal, what is inside, is only I. So ahamukam means facing I. In other words, facing ourself alone, attending to ourself alone. Um, I, uh, um, then the other, another um, adverbial which he uses here is a mandu, which is an adverbial participle, um, which in this context implies much the same as summa. Uh, because it means resting, reposing, abiding, remaining, settling, or becoming still or tranquil. So summa amandu irital, just being resting, or being just resting, uh, um, means that and implies uh, calmly, quietly, and peacefully being as we actually are, without rising as ego to do anything at all. The implication of these two adverbials, summa and amandu, um, is further emphasized by the adverbial clause that precedes them, namely solmanada tanuvin kanmadi siridindri, without the least action or karma of mind, speech, or body. So solmana. Uh, Tanovin, Kamadi Siridindri, Summa Amandiratal, just being resting without the least action of mind, speech, and body is a more elaborate description of Summa Irabdu, the state of just being as we actually are by not rising as ego. That is, so long as we rise as ego, we seem to be something other than what we actually are. So, in order to be as we actually are, that means we have to just cease rising as ego. So long as we rise and stand as ego, we experience these three instruments of action, namely the mind, speech, and body, as if they were ourself. 
So whatever actions these instruments may do are experienced by us as actions done by ourselves. When the mind is thinking, our experiences, I am thinking. When the tongue is speaking, our experiences, I am speaking. When the uh, body is doing any action, I am doing this action because we identify with these instruments of action. Therefore, in order to be without the least action of mind, speech, or body, most effectively, completely, and permanently, we need to cease rising as ego. And we will cease rising as ego only to the extent to which we hold fast to being self-attentive. That is, it is the nature of the mind, speech, and body to be active. We, um, well, if, it's possible if we want to remain without action of speech, we can remain without uh, saying anything. But we can't remain without actions of the body. The body is always... Um, the, 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 there's always actions going on in the body. Likewise, the mind, the nature of the mind is to be active. Whenever we rise as ego, the mind is active. So in order to be without the least action of mind, speech, or body implies to be without rising as ego. When we don't, when we, if we don't rise as ego, whatever actions the mind, speech, or body may be doing has no connection with us because we don't identify ourselves with the mind, speech, or body. But as soon as we rise as ego, we identify ourselves with mind, speech, or body, and therefore we are, do, uh, we, we are uh, engaged in action of mind, speech, and body. Um, so in order, to, and in order to avoid rising as ego, what we need to do is to hold fast to self-attentiveness. So long as we attend to anything other than ourselves, we are feeding and nourishing ego, the false identification, I am this body. But to the extent to which we are self-attentive, ego thereby subsides and we remain free of that identification. That is what is implied here. <clears throat> what... Uh, but another point that's important to understand is what Bhagavan implies when he talks about just being, resting without the least action of mind, speech, or body. He is not referring to manolaya, which is a temporary dissolution of mind, but only manonasa, annihilation of mind. Whenever we allow our attention to move away from ourselves towards anything else whatsoever, that movement is a mental activity. And mental activities give rise to activities of speech and body. Therefore, we can, uh, we can avoid being entangled in any kind of action uh, or karma only to the extent to which we do not allow our attention to move away from ourselves towards anything else. However, though not allowing it to move towards anything else is necessary, it is not sufficient because... As I explained earlier, merely ceasing to attend to anything else without attending to ourselves would result in manolaya. Uh, manolaya means temporary dissolution of mind, which is a state of being without the least action of mind, speech, and body, but not the eternally action-free state of being that Bhagavan implies in this verse. Sleep is a state of manolaya. So since the mind is absent of sleep, in sleep, it is a state in which we remain without the least action of mind, speech, or body. 
But we cannot eradicate ego merely by remaining in sleep or in any other state of samadhi, of, of manolaya, such as swoon, coma, general anesthesia, or kevala nevitalpa samadhi. Because such states, because in such states, ego has already subsided and dissolved back into its source, albeit only temporarily, so in its absence it cannot be annihilated. To illustrate this, Bhagavan used to tell a story of a yogi who lived on the banks of the Ganga and who was adept at immersing himself in Kevala Nirvikalpa Samadhi by means of pranayama and other yoga practices. One day when he woke up from Samadhi, he felt thirsty. So he asked his disciple to fetch a cup of water from the river. But before his disciple returned, he again immersed himself in Samadhi. And this time he immersed himself so deeply that he did not wake up for 300 years. When he finally woke up, he asked angrily, where's my water? Not knowing that his disciple had passed away hundreds of years earlier and that the river had changed its course and was now several miles away. As Bhagavan pointed out, what this story illustrates is that even though even the most superficial thought in the mind in this case, the desire for water, which was the last thought in his mind before he subsided in samadhi, and the first thought that appeared when he woke up from it, is not destroyed, no matter how long one may remain in Kevala Nirvikalpa Samadhi or any other state of layer. So when even such a superficial thought is not destroyed, that indicates that the inclinations, vasanas, that give rise to thoughts are likewise not destroyed or weakened even to the slightest extent in such a state. The seeds from which all thoughts or mental activities, vrittis, uh, sprout are vishaya vasanas. Vishaya uh, uh, vasanas means inclinations, vasanas, to attend to or experience objects or phenomena, vishayas. Uh, so thoughts thoughts will not cease permanently until all vishaya vasanas are destroyed. The root of all vasanas is ego, because they are, its, they are ego's inclinations. And since it is the nature of ego to have vishaya vasanas, they cannot be destroyed entirely until ego itself is eradicated. However, in order to eradicate ego, it is necessary for us to weaken our vishaya vasanas <laughs> <laughs> to a considerable extent, because so long as they are strong, we will not be willing to be so keenly self-attentive that we subside completely and lose ourselves forever in our source and substance, namely our fundamental awareness, I am. Since Vishaya Vasanas are our inclinations, they have no strength of their own. So whatever strength they seem to have is strength that we have given them. To the extent to which we allow ourselves to be swayed by any vishaya vasana, we are thereby giving it strength, so we can weaken them only by not allowing ourselves to be swayed by them. To the extent to which we cling to self-attentiveness, we are thereby not allowing ourselves to be swayed by any vishaya vasanas. So the most effective means to weaken and eventually eradicate all vishaya vasanas is to patiently and persistently practice being self-attentive. 
Therefore, self-attentiveness is not just the only means by which we can annihilate ego, but is also the most effective means to weaken its Vishaya Vasanas and thereby making us make ourselves willing to be so keenly self-attentive that we thereby surrender ourselves entirely and dissolve forever back, back into our source, namely Atma Sarupa. Um, since Vishaya Vasanas are in ego's inclinations, they seem to exist only when we rise and stand as ego, namely in waking and dream. So we can weaken them only in waking and dream and not in sleep or any other state of manalaya. This is why we cannot weaken them in Kevala Nirvikalpa Samadhi and why Bhagavan pointed out that we therefore cannot give any gain any spiritual benefit whatsoever by remaining in such samadhi or any other state of manolaya, even for hundreds of years, as he illustrated by narrating the story of the yogi asking for water as soon as he woke up after being immersed for 300 years in Kalpa Samadhi. Therefore, he used to warn those who were inclined to practice pranayama and other yoga techniques that they should take care not to subside in manalaya as a result of such practices and advised them that though they could use such practices to gain a certain degree of mental calmness, they could gain lasting benefit from such calmness only if they use it as a favorable condition to turn their attention back within to investigate who am I. This is what he implied in verses 13 and 14 of Upadesha Undia. In verse 13, he said, Ileamum nasam irendam odakum. That means dissolution is two, Leia and nasa. In other words, a dissolution, meaning dissolution of the mind, is of two kinds, Leia or Nasa. Um, so what's the difference between Leia and Nasa? That's what he ex he then goes on to explain. Ilea tu ulladu erum. What is in Leia um, will rise. Ilea uh, um, <clears throat> uh, tu actually means... Um, uh, it's a verb. It, it's a part verbal, uh, ad, adverbial participle that means um, uh, implies being in lay or like It can also be taken as lying down. In other words, subsiding, implying in layer. What is in layer will rise. Um, uru mind. Uh, uh, sorry, um, eradu uru mindel. Uh, uh, if its form dies, it will uh, not rise. So the implication is, layer is a temporary state. Whatever is in layer is going to rise again. Whatever, if it dies, meaning in NASA, it will not rise. So Bhagavan is pointing out here the, this important distinction between temporary dissolution and permanent dissolution. Temporary dissolution is called layer. Permanent dissolution is called NASA. He wrote this verse in the context of, in verses um, 11, 12, 13, 14, he's talking about the practice, and 15, he's talking about the practice of, well, up to four, 
14, he's talking about practice of yoga. In 15, he's talking about the conclusion of yoga. Um, so in the context of yoga, and when he talks, whenever Bhagavan talks about the practice of yoga, the main practice he he talks about is the practice of pranayama, because pranayama is the key used by yogis to bring about samadhi. In other words, the dissolution of mind, but it's only manolaya. So that's why Bhagavan mentions it here, because what he implies is what is achieved by um, by pranayama is not nasa, but only laya. In fact, in Nana, in the eighth paragraph of Nana, he concludes that paragraph by saying, um, I'm saying I'll just get it. Um, at the end of that paragraph, he 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 says, Ahayal, uh, therefore, pranayama manate adaka sahayama sahayam ahume andri manonasam sayadu. That means, um, therefore, pranayama is just an aid to restrain the mind or to make it subside, but will not bring about manonasa. So because pranayama will not bring about manonasa, in this context in um, in, um, in, uh, in verse 13 of Upadesh Undia, he makes this, he draws this distinction between Leia and Nasa. Leia is only temporary. Nasa is permanent. What is achieved by yoga, by pranayama, is only Leia. Uh, though it's called by the name uh, Kevala Nirvikalpa Samadhi, it's actually just Leia. That's what Bhagavan is emphasizing here. So how to how to how to avoid going into Leia and instead go into Nasa? That's what he talks about in verse 14 of Upadeshundia. What he says in verse 14 is Odaka Valiye Odungum Ulate Vidakave O Vari Undipara Vium Adum Adonuru Undipara. What that means is only when one sends the mind which will become calm when one restrains the breath, on the investigating path will its form perish. That is, though the mind will become calm when one restrains the breath, it will, it will perish only when one sends it on the, on the orvari. Orvari has, uh, can be interpreted in two ways. Or is a, a a verb in Tamil that means to investigate or know. So or vari means the investigate means orum vari, the investigating path. In other words, the path of best investigation. Or uh, is also a form of oro, which means one. Uh, usually, or is used before. Uh, when, if you want, it's, if when used before, when oro is used before a. Uh, a vowel, it becomes or. So usually or will be used only before a vowel. But in poetry, you can use or, but even before a consonant. So we can also take or vari to mean the one path. But whether we take it as the investigating path or the one path, it both imply the same thing, because according to Bhagavan, the one path by which ego can be annihilated is the path of investigation. Um. <clears throat> So, um, uh, 
so so what is so whichever way we interpret it, what he's implies by all worry is this path of self-investigation, which is the one and only means to eradicate ego and thereby achieve manonasa, annihilation of mind. Therefore, ulate or vari bidutal, sending the mind on the investigating path of the one path means sending the mind on the path of self-investigation. So it implies directing one's attention back towards oneself in order to see who am I. The mind cannot be sent on this path of, of self-investigation if it has dissolved in layer, because in layer there's no mind to send on this path. So if one practices breath restraint in order to restrain the mind, as soon as the mind becomes relatively calm, one should take care to direct it, uh, namely the mind or attention, back towards oneself before it dissolves in layer. If we cling to self-attentive firmly enough, we will thereby avoid being swayed by our vishaya vasanas to think of anything other than ourself, and we will also avoid dissolving in layer. Only if we let go of our hold on self-attentiveness can our mind either be carried away by other thoughts or be dissolved in layer. The aim of, of pranayama and other pra yoga practices is stated by Patanjali in Yoga Sutra, one, uh, the, the, the first part of Yoga Sutra, uh, second verse. Um, Yogas chitta vritti nirodha. Yoga is nirodha. Nirodha means restraint, curbing, stopping, or prevention of chitta vrittis. Chitta vrittis means modifications, activities, or thoughts of the mind. However, if we stop all mental activity by any means other than self-investigation, abhmavichara, the resulting state will just be manolaya. Uh, which is temporary dissolution of mind, and not manonasa, permanent dissolution or annihilation of mind. So sooner or later, the mind will rise again and wander under the sway of its vishaya vasanas, as Bhagavan points out in the eighth paragraph of Nana. Um, I won't read the whole of this paragraph, but just the relevant sentences. That is, Bhagavan begins by saying, Manam... I Adungu vicharane tabira vera tahunta upayangal ile. For the mind to cease, except vicharana, self investigation, there is no other adequate means. He said very, very emphatically, there is no tahunta upayangal ile. Vera tahunta upayangal ile. There is no other adequate means. Um, and then he goes on to say, Matra Upayangalinal Adanginal Manam Adangi Adanginal Pol Irandu Marupadium Kilambi Vidum. That means if, if made to subside or to cease or subside by other means, the mind remaining for a while as if it had ceased will uh, again rise up. Um, and then he goes on to say, uh, pranayama talam, even by pranayama, manam adangam, the mind will uh, will uh, cease. Um, anal, pranan adangi irkum varil, manamum adangi irandu, 
Pranam Velipadum Podu, Tanum Velipadum Vasane Vayatai Alayam. That means, um, however, so long as the prana uh, remains subsided, mind will also remain subsided. And when prana emerges, it, it, meaning the mind, will also emerge and wander under the sway of its vasanas. Um, so that's the first few sentences of the paragraph. And the last sentence of the paragraph is Ahayal pranayamam manate adhika sahayame andri mananasam sayadu. Therefore, pranayama is just an aid to restrain the mind, um, but will not bring about mananasa. <clears throat> Though Bhagavan says that pranayama is an aid to restrain the mind, it is not a necessary aid. Uh, Bhagavan never said we should practice pranayama. What he taught about pranayama is only for the sake of those who are already uh, attracted to pranayama. Uh, so but it's not necessary because it can help to annihilate the mind only in the manner that he implies in verse 14 of Upadesha Undia, namely by calming the mind and thereby preparing uh, uh, it to be sent on the path of self-investigation. But no such aid is actually required because self-investigation itself is the most effective means to calm the mind. If the mind is restless or agitated, we can calm it most quickly and effectively by turning our attention back towards ourself, thereby bypassing the need for any aid such as pranayama. Though Manolaya is a state in which we remain without the least action of mind, speech or body, it is only a temporary state from which the mind will rise again and wander under the sway of its Vishaya Vasanas. Moreover, since the mind and its Vishaya Vasanas are completely absent in Manolaya, they are not weakened even to their slightest extent, no matter how long we may remain in Manolaya. Therefore, Manolaya is not the state the Bhagavan refers to in the fourth verse of Anmavide um, when he says, Solmana Tanovins Kamadi Siridindri Summa Amandirika, when one just is resting without the, without the least action of mind, speech, or body. <clears throat> it is only in the state of Manonasa that Atmajoti the infinite light of pure awareness, which is ourself as we actually are, will shine forth in our heart as our eternal experience, nitya and abhuti, and that we can thereby rest forever without the least action of mind, speech, or body. So what Bhagavan implies when he says, Salmana Tanavin Kanmadi Siridindri, Summa Amandirika, Amma Ahatil Armajotie, Nitanabhutie, when one just is, resting without the least action of mind, speech, or body, ah, in the heart, Atmajoti alone will shine forth. This is Nitya Anubhuti, this is the eternal experience, is, is, that what we sh is, is that we should try to bring about Mananasa, which we can do only by means of self-investigation, Atmavichara. Therefore, what he implies here by Siridu, which means what is small, what is slight, and which in this context implies the smallest or the slightest or the least, is not that 
um, is not that all action should cease just temporarily, but that it should cease in such a way that it never revives even to the slightest extent, as he indicated by the words anuvum viadu, without reviving even an iota in the second sentence of verse one of this song, in which he said, Poime are nenevu anuvum viadu odikave, meya that means when the unreal darkness pervading thought darkness pervaded thought is dissolved without reviving even an iota in the reality pervaded heart space oneself the sun of pure awareness will certainly shine by oneself um before I continue, are there any have any questions been asked either in um, either in the comments uh, here in on Zoom or or um, either in, in the chat in Zoom or in the comments on um, on the live streaming on YouTube? Uh, sir, there are no questions on YouTube. However, mm. there is a question that is here in the Zoom. Okay. Um, I shall read it out to you. Yes. Quote, Michael, could you please explain verse 20 of, of uh, Upadesh Tanipakal in which Bhagavan says, if the dove caught in the hand of the hunter is let free, it will fly away even from the forest. If you ask thus, when the hunter turning back home goes away from the forest leaving the dove, the dove will remain in the forest, since even that forest, which was alien, will be found to be its home. Unquote. Um, <clears throat> there Bhagavan is, is, is using an analogy. That is, the, the verse starts with a question. A question was asked by a devotee, but uh, using an analogy. If the dove caught in the hand of a hunter is let free, it will fly away even from the forest in which it was caught, will it not? That's the implication of the, the question. There, the, um, the, the hunter is, the, uh, is Maya, but has caught the, 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 the jiva, the dove, um, in the, the web of Maya. If a dove escapes from a web of Maya, in other words, if it attains liberation, it will fly away even from the forest. That what the forest here represents the body. So what um, what what this question implies is that when when we are liberated, will we not leave the body entirely? And Bhagavan's answer says. Um, what Bhagavan implies in his answer, when the hunter uh, turning back home, um, the hunt is Maya. That's when Maya turning back home means when Maya retreats and goes away from the forest, leaving the dove, it, the dove, will remain in the forest since even that forest, which was previously alien, will be found to be its home. So what 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 this is what Bhagavan is talking about here is about the state of Jiva Mukti. That is 
um, there's certain some people believe, but as soon as uh, as soon as uh, uh, liberation occurs, that the body should therefore die. But um, because the, the, the jiva is, uh, uh, departs and therefore the body should die. <clears throat> but what Bhagavan says is when that maya, the, the bondage uh, goes, the, the, the maya goes and returns back to where it came from, uh, the, there'll be nothing other than the dove. So the, 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 the forest which previously uh, appeared to be alien will be found to be home. This is from the perspective of Binyani, even the body is I, as Bhagavan says, uh, for example, in verse, uh, verse um, 17 of Uludunapadu. Uh, what he says in verse 17 of Uludunapadu is, um, wait a second, I'll just get the verse. Sorry, this is a rather subtle point Bhagavan is making here. So it requires a careful consideration. In verse 17 of Upadesha India, Bhagavan says, both for those who have known themselves and those who have not known themselves, um, uh, the body is actually I. Um, <clears throat> um, he says, the term he used in Tamil is Udal Nane. The body is only I, or the body is actually I. Um, but then he points out the difference. For those who do not know themselves, I is only to the extent of the body. So I is limited, in other words, I is limited to the extent of the body. For those who have known themselves within the body, oneself, I, shines without limit. So in the state of jnana, there is nothing other than I. So even the, if at all there's such a thing as body, even that body is I. So what, what Bhagavan means is, just because the, from the perspective of others, the jnani seems to continue living in the body, the jnani is not in any way limited by the body. Uh, because the jnani is the infinite whole. The jnani shines without limit. Um, he, because jnana is the infinite whole. So, so the, though, but since the body cannot be other than I, it, it, it cannot be anything other than me, that, that is nothing can be other than that which is without limit, that which is infinite. The body cannot be other than I, so the body is also I. So, but as, as Sadhuam used to say, for, for the agnani, the body alone is I. For the jnani, the body is also the body also is I. Uh, that is, there's nothing other than I for the jnani. So um, the, the, the forest, which previously seemed to be alien, the forest being the body, will be found to be its home. In other words, it will be found to be nothing other than itself. <clears throat> so um, that's the. That's the idea behind this. It was this, Bhagavan wrote this verse in reply to a question, but he wrote it in, entirely in a, in a metaphorical way. So we have to understand what the metaphor is. The dove means the jiva. The, the, hand of, the hunter is maya. The, the forest is the body uh, in, in which it was caught. 
in which we've gone to court the, the bird. But when the when the bird escapes from the hunt, when the hunter goes back, when the hunter leaves, that's when Maya departs. The the dove will remain in the forest. That, that, that is the, the the body will continue. The body of Vinyani will continue living, because for Vinyani the body is not the body which was previously found to be something other than itself will be found to be nothing other. I mean, it, it cannot be. There's nothing other. For Vinyani, there's no such thing as that nothing is alien, nothing is other than itself. Is that a clear answer to that question? Uh, yes, sir. I get I get some idea, but but I have to listen to it again. Yes, I, yes. It's it's uh, a little bit it's 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 it's, it's, uh, it's explained in a rather I mean it's it's expressed in a rather roundabout way because it's entirely metaphorical. But it's yes. just to do with the, the the whole subject is about Jiva Mukti. That is what the question is about. Yes. How come that is the, the person who asked the question, they asked it in a, in the form of a metaphor, but their idea was how can the 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 jnani can how can the jnani remain in the body after the uh, after attaining jnana? Well, the body is for the jnani, as uh, the, the body is no longer something other. That is nothing. For the, the jnana is the infinite whole, so there's nothing other than that. Got that it, is the it. idea. Got it, sir. Thank you. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. So, are there any other questions? No, sir. There are no further uh, questions. Okay. Um, shall I continue for a while? Um, sure, we can continue for another 10 odd minutes, if that ten, is okay. Ten, 10 minutes, okay. Um, okay. Um, <clears throat> so, to, to continue explaining this verse 4 of uh, Amma Bide, um <clears throat> Um, we need to cling to self-attentiveness so firmly, but we do not allow ourselves to be swayed, even to the slightest extent, by any vishaya vasanas, because then only will we dissolve in manonasa, thereby remaining forever without the least action of mind, speech, or body. So, as I had explained, attending to anything other than ourself is a mental activity. Whereas attending to ourselves is not a mental activity, but a cessation of all mental activity. Because to the extent to which we attend to ourselves, we as ego will thereby subside. And since ego is the doer of all of all mental activity, its mental activity will subside along with it. If we cease attending to anything else without attending to ourselves, we will thereby subside in manolaya. Whereas if we attend to ourselves so keenly that we thereby cease to be aware of anything else whatsoever, we will subside forever in manonasa. Therefore, it is only to the extent to which we hold fast to being self-attentive, but we come close to being without the least action of mind, speech or body in the sense that Bhagavan means in this verse. Whenever we allow our attention to move away from ourselves towards anything else, 
we do so under the sway of our Vishaya Vasanas, because everything other than ourself is a Vishaya, an object or phenomena. So Vishaya Vasanas are our inclinations to attend to and experience such things. Therefore, we need to cling to self-attentiveness so firmly that we do not allow ourselves to be swayed, even to the slightest extent, by any Vishayabhasanas, because only then will we dissolve in Manonasa, thereby remaining forever without the least action of mind, speech, or body. Since Vasanas are our own volitional inclinations or likings, whenever we allow ourselves to be swayed by any vasana, we do so because we want to be swayed by it. So we can cling to self-attentiveness only to the extent to which we love to be self-attentive. Love to be self-attentive is what is called sattvasana, the inclination or liking to attend only to our own being, sat, and thereby to be as we actually are. To the extent to which, to the extent that our satvasana is strengthened, our vishaya vasanas will be weakened, and vice versa, because these two types of vasanas are opposite inclinations. Whereas vishaya vasanas are inclinations go, to go outwards and engage in activities pravritti in order to experience phenomena vishayas of various kinds. Satvasana is the inclination to draw back within nivriti in order to be aware of nothing other than our own being, sat. In order to uh, strengthen our um, satvasana and thereby weaken our vishaya vasanas, we need to try patiently and persistently to be self-attentive. Even if at first we're able to be self-attentive only for a few moments now and then, so long as we persevere in trying, we are moving in the right direction, because we are thereby gradually strengthening our satvasana. No matter how strong our vishaya vasanas may seem to be, we can weaken and eventually eradicate all of them if we persevere in trying to be self-attentive as much as we can, as Bhagavan assures us in the 10th and 11th paragraphs of Nana. Um, I won't read uh, uh, Tamil. I'll just read the the the, the, mean, the English meaning of what Bhagavan says in Tamil. In the tenth paragraph, he says, "Even though Vishaya Vasanas, which come from time immemorial, rise in countless numbers like ocean waves, they will all be destroyed when Swarupa Dhyana, that is self-attentiveness, increases and increases." Without giving room even to the doubting thought, so many vasanas ceasing, is it possible to be only a swarupa? It is necessary to cling tenaciously to swarupa dhyana. However great a sinner one may be, if instead of lamenting and weeping, I am a sinner, how am I going to be saved? One completely rejects the thought that one is a sinner, and is zealous or steadfast in self-attentiveness, one will certainly be reformed or transformed into what one actually is. And then in the next paragraph, the 11th paragraph, he goes on to say, as long as the share of asanas exists within the mind, that is, so long as we have the least inclination to attend to anything other than ourselves, so long the investigation, who am I, is necessary. As and when 
thoughts appear, then and there it is necessary to annihilate them all by vicharana. Uh, vicharana means self-investigation or self, keen self-attentiveness in the very place from which they arise. What what's he mean by annihilating thoughts in the very place from which they arise? That is, as thoughts arise, thoughts of a sprouting of inclinations, of vasanas. So as soon as the vasana begins to sub sprout, without allowing it to grow into a thought, if we cling to self-attentiveness, that vasana will be destroyed in the place from which it rises, in its source. Um, um, so that's what he means by it's necessary to annihilate them all by vicharana in the very place from which they arise. That implies that we need to hold on to self-attentiveness so firmly that as and when each vasana tries to sprout in the form of a thought, because we don't allow ourselves to be distracted by it, because we're clinging to self-attentiveness, it will be destroyed in the very place from which in which it rose. And then he goes on to give a very nice definition of what is meant by vairagya or nirasa. Vairagya means um, freedom from raga, freedom from passion or, in other words, detachment. And nirasa means much the same, freedom from asa, freedom from desire. So vairagya and nirasa both mean desirelessness or dispassion. So what what is Bhagavad, the definition Bhagavan gives of Vairagya? Uh, in Tamil he says, Aniyate Nada Dirital. That means being without uh, attending to what is other. Not a, in other words, not attending to anything other than ourselves. That is Vairagya or Nirasa. Uh, uh, not leaving uh, oneself is jnana. Vidadu uh, uh, can mean not leaving. It also means not letting go of. So in other words, not letting go of ourself. In other words, not letting go of uh, self-attentiveness. That is jnana. I mean, he goes on to say, in truth, these two, vairagya um, and jnana, are one. That is, not attending to anything else, and not letting go of ourself are one and the same thing. Um, just because if we don't let go of ourself, we are thereby not letting go, we are not attending to anything other than ourself. But our aim should be to not let go of ourself, because if we merely aim to not attend to anything else, we'll end up in Manolaya. So we need to be careful. What the, the implication here is we need to hold on to ourselves so firmly. As Bhagavan beautifully said to, um, to Desoama, Akilandamaya, she was an uneducated uh, village woman, but she had great love for Bhagavan, and she used to come from her village bringing, uh, she, though she was very poor, she would collect um, um, uh, food together, and he, she would walk the, um, I think it's about 50 miles from Deso to Tiruvannamalai, she would walk all that distance, uh, to um, to come and serve Bhagavan, to cook food for him and to serve him. She had so much devotion to him. Once someone suggested to her, but it was a very auspicious day, it was a Purnima or something, and she should ask Bhagavan for some Upadesha. 
so she was very hesitant to do so. So she approached Bhagavan, and Bhagavan, seeing her hesitation, I may not get the details quite correct, but anyway, either she asked Bhagavan or he just saw her and he saw she wanted to ask something. And he said to her, Une vidamaliru. That literally means be without leaving yourself or be without letting go of yourself. Um, many years later, when Akalandama told this to Saduam, she said, I still don't fully understand what Bhagavan meant by that, but those words have been with me ever since then. When Bhagavan uttered those words, it was just like nectar. And those words are always with me. Um, so even if I don't understand them, I just, uh, these this words have never leave me. So Bhagavan's words have such a power. So uh, though she may not have fully understood what Bhagavan meant, those words will have their own power. And those those words that Bhagavan said to that <clears throat> that simple, uneducated village woman, these are this is in those three words he summarizes the whole of his teachings. <clears throat> Be without leaving yourself. <clears throat> and that's what he implies here when he says, not leaving oneself is jnana. So holding on to ourselves without ever letting go of ourselves. That is that is the path that Bhagavan has taught us. That is Atma Vichara, that is Atma Samapanam. That is self-investigation and self-surrender. <clears throat> so he says, in truth, these two, not letting go of oneself and um, not attending to anything else, are one. And then he goes on to say, just like um just as pearl divers tying stones to their waists and sinking, pick up pearls that are found at the bottom of the ocean, so each one, sinking deep within oneself with vairagya, <clears throat> may, may attain atma mutu. <clears throat> atma mutu means the self-pearl. That means the pearl that is our own real nature. So in this analogy, the stones that the pearl divers tied to their waist is analogous to Vairagya. So in order to sink deep within, we need to have intense Vairagya. That means we need to be free from any inclination to attend to anything other than ourselves. In other words, we must have so much attend love to attend to ourselves alone. And with that, we must sink deep within ourselves and thereby attain the pearl that is our own real nature. <clears throat> And then in the next sentence, he gives us a great assurance. Um, he says, um, I'll read the Tamil for this because it's such an important sentence. Oruvan tan sarupate adeyam vario nirantara sarupas maranaye tai patruvanayin adu andre podom. That means um, if one clings, Past uninterrupted Swarupa Smarana. Swarupa Smarana means self-remembrance or remembrance of our own real nature. In other words, remembrance of I. Until one attains Swarupa, until one attains one's own real nature, Adu Andre Podum, that alone is sufficient. And then he gives uh, he, he the, the final uh, two sentences 
he only gives an analogy. We have to understand what that analogy is means. What he says is, so long as there are enemies within the fortress, they will be continuously coming out from it. If one is continuously cutting down or destroying all of them, as and when they come, the fortress will be captured. So what does he mean by that? The enemies within the fortress are the Vishayavasanas. The fortress in which they're hiding is our own heart. If, so long as they're in, if, if you, if, a, um, if a, um, an enemy is surrounding a fortress, uh, has besieged a fortress, but the, um, if, so if, if the army, if an army has surrounded a fortress, the enemies in the fortress, so long as they have food and water in the fortress, they will not come out. They'll stay in the fortress because it's safe. But if there's no food or water in the fortress, they have to come out in search of food or water. But the vasanas, though they live in the heart, they, there's no nourishment for them in the heart. In order for the Vishaya Vasanas to be nourished, they need to come out. They need to take our attention away from ourselves to feed on the Vishayas. So the, the enemies in the fortress of the Vishaya Vasanas, which are constantly trying to take our attention away from ourselves. But if instead of allowing our attention to be uh, distracted away from ourselves, if we hold firmly to self-attentiveness or Swarupa Smarana, they, that is, in effect, cutting down the enemy one by one as they come out. And eventually the fortress will be captured. That means we'll gain possession of our heart again. We'll vanquish all the Vasanas and we will remain, uh, and we will capture, thereby capture our heart. In other words, we'll remain as we actually are. Um, so that's what Bhagavan says in those two paragraphs. Therefore, Though it may seem to us that it is not possible to be so keenly self-attentive that we thereby remain peacefully as we actually are without the least action of mind, speech or body, if we persevere tenaciously in trying to be self-attentive as much as possible, we will thereby eventually strengthen our satvasana and weaken our vishayavasanas to such an extent that we are able to be so keenly self-attentive that we cease to be aware of anything else whatsoever and thereby dissolve forever back into our own real nature, Swarupa, which is Satchit, our fundamental awareness of our own being, I am. This is the state of permanent dissolution of dissolution in our source, I am. Sorry, this state of permanent dissolution in our source, I am, alone is liberation, mukti or moksha, eradication of ego, annihilation of mind, manonasa, and destruction of all vasanas, vasanakshaya. Om namo bhagavate sri arunachala ramanaya. Sorry, I continued a little beyond the 10 minutes you said. I hope it's not too long. Not a problem at all, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for your wonderful guidance today. And uh, there is just one question on YouTube, if you might like to take yeah, it. Yes, uh, certainly. Certainly. Thank you. So we have uh, one question from Marian Rose. Quote, Hi, Michael. 
Do you think Bhagwan thought that Paramhans Yogananda's Kriya Yog would lead to liberation? Thank you. Unquote. Um, I don't know anything about um, uh, Kriya Yoga, but Bhagwan is very, very clear. The only means to liberation is the only direct means to liberation is Atma Vichara. That is whatever other path we may follow, sooner or later, we need to come to the path of Atma Vichara. Atma Vichara is like the river that discharges in the ocean. All other paths are like tributaries of that river. They, the water in the tributaries cannot reach the ocean directly. The water in the tributaries have to flow into the main river in order to be discharged into the uh, ocean, which is the, the ultimate aim. So other paths had the, have a role to play in our spiritual journey. But once we come to this main path, Bhagavan's path of Atmavichara, we can leave aside all other practices. That is, other practices are useful to the extent to which they lead us to this path. Because what is our goal? Our goal is knowing and being what we actually are. In order to know and be what we actually are, we need to annihilate ego, because ego is a false awareness of ourselves. So knowing and being what we actually are and annihilation of ego actually are one and the same thing. In order to know what we actually are, we need to investigate ourselves. How can we know ourselves if we never attend to ourselves? If we're always attending to things other than ourselves, we can't de expect thereby to know ourselves. All spiritual practices other than Atmavichara entail attending to something other than ourselves. In order to know ourselves, we need to attend to ourselves alone. So other parts may be useful means, they may help to purify the mind, they may give concentration, or they, they, they may, they, what, that, they, they ultimately, other parts are useful to the extent to which they prepare us and give us the willingness to turn within to know what we actually are. So, uh, whatever other path it may be, I, as I say, I don't know what is this uh, exactly what uh, uh, um, Yogananda meant by uh, Kriya Yoga, but whatever it is, it can at best be a means to lead us to this path. How it leads us to this path, I don't know because I don't know enough about it, but it is useful only to the extent to which, uh, only if and to the extent to which it leads us to this path. Bhagavan is very, very, in so many places, Bhagavan has clearly emphasized this path alone is the, this is the only means to, because how can we know ourselves if we never attend to ourselves? So whatever other path we may follow, sooner or later, we need to turn our attention within to see who am I, because that is the ultimate aim of all spiritual practices. I hope that that is an adequate answer to that question. Uh, so the response from Marian on YouTube mm. is, and I quote, much gratitude and thanks for answering my question, Michael, and for making the satsang available on YouTube, unquote. Right. 
Well, it's uh, all, all I'm doing. I'm just pointing out what Bhagavan said. So it's all thanks due to uh, due only to Bhagavan because all, all that is. Uh, what do I know? All I know is what I've learned from Bhagavan and learned from um, by His grace being attracted to this path and trying my best to follow this path. So it's, He is the source of all clarity. Thank you very much, Michael. Mm, we right. shall reconvene next month, second yeah. Sunday. Thank you, okay. sir. Thank you. Om Namo Bhagavate Sri Aranachala Ramanaya.